0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Southfield. My name is Brian. I'm the director of student ministries around here. And uh, what a beautiful day. Not just having that little bit of fall crisp in the air, uh, but there's, there's something special about today, and I can't quite grasp what it is. Actually, yes, I can. It's the first time in however many years that the orange and blue, the Bears, have a chance to not only win on opening day, but to take down the Packers. That just gives me so much relief. Yeah, that that green number 12 is finally gone. He's, he's left us and we have a shot and I'm fired up. So now that I fully jinxed them, let's get into our announcements. <clears throat> uh, what I'm going to be looking at here is the, the weekend update that gets sent out every week. Uh, so that's either Friday or Saturday and The basic premise, the reason we send this out is to make sure that you are prepped for what's coming on Sunday and anything that's going to be opening up in the near future, registrations, things like that. So if you don't receive this, if it's not coming to your inbox, make sure that you go to our church website and you go scroll down to the bottom and sign up for it. Or you can go out to the info desk this morning and we'll help you get all registered and signed up because there are a lot of cool things in this weekend's update. Not only do you get the passages that we're going to be reading through on Sunday morning and the, the music playlist, uh, but you also get just a little bit of what's going on around here. So to make sure that I don't screw anything up, um, I'm going to be reading straight from it. The first announcement there that you'll see is for our parents' night out on September 22nd. This is a really cool thing that we did uh, last, last year. And it was an opportunity for parents that are outside of our Southfield family to come and drop their kids off for a little while so that they could go either get some rest, some much-needed nap time, or uh, go out to dinner and and hang out and have that time just to relax and be child-free for a little while. And I'm starting to learn the incredible value of having child-free moments, uh, being a new dad myself. Now, the the cool thing about this time around, we are encouraging Southfield families to take advantage of this. So if you want to drop off your kids for that evening, that's a really cool thing. What we're going to ask you to do, is then invite a family member, a neighbor, a coworker, or someone else who has kids to do the same. Have them drop off their kids, and then you guys go out to dinner together. Build those relationships, build those friendships that we've been talking about for the last several weeks, and, um, and encourage people to, to come to know and love Jesus um, here through Southfield. So again, that's on the 22nd. Um, the event is free, but we just need you to, to sign up so that we know how many people need to be here staffed for, uh, for that evening for the kids. The next thing on your, on your list is actually for the day before. Mom's Connection starts on September 21st. That's Thursday, September 21st. And there's a deadline coming this week. So on Wednesday, you need to be registered for that. Um, the great thing about this is that it is a, a multi-week thing. Um, so moms get the chance to get together and, and do life together and learn together and ex- experience that, um, that life of being a mom together. But there is a there's a $5 um, per child, a, I keep calling it daycare, but childcare fee. And we just need to know how many staff we need for that. So if you would, by Wednesday, if you plan on joining Mom Connections this fall, we need you to be signed up and registered by this Wednesday. And you can do that through the... Um, the weekend update on the website or through the Church Center app. We have fall journey groups that are starting to fire up. If you go to the website or go into the app and you start looking at all the different offerings, they're starting to really fill out and that's really cool. So keep an eye out for the one that fits you. I know I saw one um, this morning that. It's going to be going through the, the book of Colossians. So a lot of different really cool options that are going to be coming up. So make sure, as I said in the, the previous weeks that I was up here, uh, journey groups, have they give you the chance to establish relationships, not just for a season, not just for, um, for a, a semester even, but potentially even for life. I've made some of my greatest friends through Journey Group and some of the people who know me and love me and support me better than anyone else have happened through those Journey Groups. So I encourage you to try one out if you haven't before or if you've been in one for a long, long time and you know that group's firing back up, invite other people in. Bring them in so that they can know that, that relationship, not just with each other, but also uh, with Jesus. Really, really cool um, chance to do that. We have a chance for our kids to be involved in a Christmas play this uh, this winter. So the first weekend of December, we're going to be putting on another Christmas show, which is really exciting. It's for first grade all the way through eighth graders. We do have an audition for that though on September 19th from 5 to 7. That's required uh, because if we made a kindergartner or a first grader uh, the the lead of the show, it would be really really cute. But they might just Stand there doing this kind of thing. Um, so we want to make sure that that the kids that are coming out and get those those active speaking roles and things like that are are ready for the the task at hand because it is a commitment. We, if you look at the weekend update, you'll see that um, there are a bunch of different practices and you're only allowed to miss one. We prefer that obviously you miss none, but that does require a, a commitment that can't be avoided. Uh, so make sure that if you have a, a first to eighth grader who wants to be a part of that, that not only you get signed up for that, but um, that you look at the schedule of what that commitment will take. It's going to be really, really cool, really awesome, and everybody that comes out to the audition is promised a part. They just are going to work out the, the different parts to make it as, as best a, a show as they possibly can, uh, for not only for us, but for, for the kids themselves. Finally, if you are a grandparent, if you are in that stage of life, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But we're going to be meeting at a a new time this fall. So on Tuesdays from 6 to 7.30, that's when that grandparenting group is going to be meeting. And I don't know, this is selfish and you guys hear it every week. My my dad talks about how awesome it is to be um, a, a grandparent to Emmett. And so it's... Watching my parents and my in-laws experience that stage with Emmett being so little, he's not so little anymore, he's a chunk, Uh, but getting to watch that is really cool on an individual level. So when you're able to gather together and share that experience and share tips and tricks and and stories with each other, I just think that's really a a fantastic thing that you're able to do here at Southfield. So again, that's going to be happening on Tuesdays in the fall from 6 to 7.30. It's another thing you can get registered for if you are in that grandparenting point of your life. Now, um, before we get into our message for the morning, We have been waiting for something for a long, long time. In fact, that long, long time has been since the last Friday of June. Since that time, Nikkel Carlson has been compiling all of the different pictures and videos and drone shots and everything else that we've got from day camp. And she has done an excellent job, an absolutely incredible job of putting together our camp video. So today... This morning, we are going to get the debut of our Day Camp 2023, Quest 2023 video. So before we get into our message, let's check that out.
1: I'm sorry, I don't know how you can watch that and think church is boring. I mean, just, just amazing. I mean, it snaps you right back to that week where, I mean, not only did we have a lot of fun, but God's Word was, uh, was taught. And boy, I just can't think of a more exciting thing. It's, just, it's amazing. Uh, I am not Pastor Dennis. Uh, I am John Beaker. I'm one of the overseers here at Southfield. I get called in to pinch hit from time to time, so hopefully I don't strike out. Uh, but uh, uh, excited to be able to have the chance to talk with you today. Um, I can't believe that we're here right now. Oh, wait, before that, I also need to say, uh, I didn't know that it was Jersey Sunday, so please don't read anything into the green. Okay, just, we have to get that out of the way. Got to get it out there. So I really can't believe that we're here in this moment right now. What a unique opportunity. We are standing on the threshold of an opportunity that God literally dropped right in our laps. This week, character education using the Bible will begin for students whose parents have enrolled them in LifeWise Academy in Shanahan, Illinois. It's amazing. Uh, Absolutely amazing. And I think that some of the words that describe the sentiment for many of us right now would be incredulous, awestruck, thankful, and and just amazed. Uh, The sense that that we have kind of brought to mind for me a letter that Jesus wrote uh, to the church, that Jesus had the Apostle John write to a church in the book of Revelation. Maybe you've heard this before, maybe not, but check out these words because I think it Accurately captures uh, kind of where we are. Jesus says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. Clearly, this is Jesus. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things that you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close you've little strength yet you have obeyed my word and did not deny me this text really describes our sense of what we're about to embark on we've had a door of opportunity open to share the gospel to share the gospel the door was opened for us by the one who opens doors that no one can close and who closes doors that no one can open And I've heard the sentiment expressed by numerous people that this ministry, this opportunity will go as far as God takes it. It's his from start to finish. And that's really, really exciting. So this week, as we get to embark on LifeWise Academy, pray for the board. Pray for the teachers. Pray for the bus drivers. (laughs) Pray for the volunteers. But more than anything else, more than anything else, Pray for the kids, pray for the students as they encounter the Word of God that is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Personally, I am so excited because I get to teach a group of second graders, poor second graders. Mm -mm -mm. I can't wait. It's going to be a blast. And in some ways, I feel like for me, this opportunity has brought me full circle when it comes to serving because my journey of serving really took off when I started teaching elementary age students about the Bible. I've shared the story with many of you before, but when Susan and I started attending this church 20 years ago, we were hurting. We were. We were worn out. We had served in various ministries at other churches and often felt like our good intentions were misunderstood. And it left us uh, left us worn out, left us hurting, uh, left us in a place where we wondered whether or not we should engage in serving again. Because, I mean, after a while you start to wonder, is it me? <laughs> Maybe it's us. Maybe it's not well, you know, what's happening. Maybe it's just us. We're the problem. So when we came here, we fully intended on attending. And that was pretty much it. We were going to show up, uh, but we were not going to get involved. Um, But that's not the road that God had for us. Pretty immediately, we found ourselves teaching a group of elementary school-aged children, and I was completely overwhelmed. I was beside myself. I was terrified. I felt ill-equipped, unskilled, untrained, which is really ironic Because if you look at what 2 Timothy 3.17 says, it tells us it's not about training. It was never about the training. It's about God's Word. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God or the woman of God may be completely equipped for every good work. To be sure, being prepared is important. But the text says that our equipment is God's Word, not our own skills, ability, and training. Any good work that we can do starts with God who equips us to serve Him through His Word, His living Word. The equipping that we really need is His Word. No matter where you are right now, no matter where God has you planted right now, be encouraged. Serving Him is not about you It's about him. And if he's given you a task to do, and he has given you a task to do, he's also given you the equipping that you need to do that task, to accomplish it. The equipping begins and ends in him, in his word. It doesn't matter if the task is being a parent, driving a bus, teaching a class, serving on a board, being a good student being a good neighbor, being a good employee, being the best athlete that you can be in your sport, being the best musician that you can be. It doesn't matter what the task is, the equipment that we need more than anything else is God's word. Now with that as the backdrop, I'd like to share with you this morning one of the very first lessons that I had the privilege of teaching so many years ago to that group of elementary students that made a big, big impact on me. It was a story that I would read before, but this time it came alive in a way that opened my mind and my heart in a fresh way. And I hope it will, it will challenge you today as it did me. The text comes from very early in the Bible. Very early. Genesis chapter 4. So this is pretty immediately after the fall of man. Adam and Eve have eaten the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they've been banished from the Garden of Eden. They're out. Chapter 4 is sort of like the beginning of the rest of the story, like the post-fall story, if you will. It's a story that has six parts. An introduction, a dilemma, a confrontation, a window of opportunity, a choice, and then finally, an epilogue. The introduction starts out with hope, And with promise, let's take a look at the text. Genesis 4 starts out like this. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Hooray! Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. The introduction provides the backdrop for the rest of the story. So, so far we've got Adam and Eve who now have at least two boys. There could have been more and there could have been girls born to them as well. The text only mentions these two, Cain and Abel, but it does not preclude the possibility of others. What we know for sure is that they have at least two boys, Cain and Abel. And these two boys grow up to do very different things. Abel becomes a shepherd, while Cain becomes a farmer. The text goes on to say, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. How nice. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn, lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. This part of the story is the dilemma. Now that Cain and Abel are grown, there is clearly some expectation that they will bring an offering of worship to God. Ah, but what to bring? What to bring? What indeed? What exactly happened here? Abel... Brought an offering to God, and Cain brought an offering to God. Each of them took something that belonged to them and gave it to God. But God's response to the two offerings is very different. On its face, it sort of looks unfair, doesn't it? Abel's offering is accepted, Cain's offering is not. Why not? They both gave something, shouldn't they both be accepted? How are we supposed to make sense of this? Well, we know that God is not arbitrary or capricious. If Abel's offering was accepted, there had to be a reason why it was accepted. And if Cain's offering was rejected, there had to be a reason why it was rejected. Some scholars say that the difference may have been that Abel offered an animal sacrifice, which would have resulted in the shedding of blood, whereas Cain did not. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, we read that according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So was that it? Did it have to do with the shedding of blood as a sacrifice for sin? Was it that Cain brought produce instead of a live sacrifice? Abel brought meat. Cain brought fruit salad. I mean, is that, is that what's going on here? Hmm. Well, perhaps. But this event happened long before the birth of Moses, much less long before the giving of the law, so we don't know for sure. What is clear is that there was an expectation by God surrounding the offerings of worship from both Abel and Cain. There were some requirements that they both knew and understood, and that's the key point here. They knew. They understood what God wanted. This becomes really, really clear in the next couple of verses that we'll look at in a moment, where we see that this was not just simply an oversight by Cain. It's not that he happened to show up to the party and he had a gift that was valued at $5 and everybody else brought gifts valued at $100. That's not what happened. This was not a mistake. It wasn't a goof. It was a clear, conscious, deliberate choice. And I think we gain really good insight into why Abel's offering was accepted while Cain's offering was rejected by carefully looking at the description of what they brought. Abel brought to God the best portions of the firstborn of his flock. Abel brought God his first and his best. Abel offered to God the best that he had to give of the firstborn lambs of his flock. Firstborn, not middleborn, not lastborn, firstborn. If we were to think of Abel's offering as a meal that he prepared to serve to God, it would be as if he gave God the choice cut, the first cut of the main course. If he were sitting at a table with God, it would be as if he cut God's portion first, Plated it nicely and served it to him. And then, only then, after that, would he cut a piece for himself. Second, giving God the firstborn was an act of trust by Abel because it's possible that there wasn't going to be a secondborn or a thirdborn or a fifthborn. Giving God what comes first and best is costly, it's risky. It requires trust. What Abel gave was a reflection of his heart and his attitude toward God. Abel gave God his first and his best. Well, what about Cain? How is his offering described? Cain gave God some of his crops. Let's compare those phrases for a second. Best portion of the firstborn lambs versus some of his crops crops. Best and first, some. You can almost sense from the description that Cain's offering was kind of an afterthought. If Abel's offering said, I love you, God, Cain's offering said, well, I guess I have to do this. uh, So here, it was the least I could give you, really, the the bare minimum. If we were to think of Cain's offering as a meal that he prepared, It would be as if he completely forgot that God was coming over and ran to the fridge, found some weak old, sad Brussels sprouts, and served them up, cold. He didn't even microwave them, didn't even put any butter on them. So yes, technically, Cain gave an offering, but it was not a serious offering. It was an afterthought. He gave God some, right, some. Not his first, not his best, just something. Now imagine you were sitting at that meal. Would you feel honored? Would you feel valued, loved, respected? I suspect not. It almost would have been better to bring nothing at all. So yes, Cain brought a a gift, but did he really? I mean, or was it simply an act of obligation that he had to fulfill? Now we need to pause the story here for a, a second to consider the question, how do we do that? How do we do the same thing? As we, read, as we read through the passage, we know that we don't want to be like that. We don't want to live like Cain. But we do always want to give God our first and our best. But do we? Or do we just give him some? Something to think about. The bottom line is that God is and always has been after our hearts. Not some trinket or some pittance that we can give to him. Because even our biggest, most grandiose gifts Pale in comparison to what God already has. He doesn't need our stuff. He wants us. It's the reason why the first and greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Cain's offering was not accepted. What was his response to that? How did he feel about it? Well, the text tells us he was very angry. He was very upset. He was dejected. We're not even five chapters into the Bible and we already see the comparison game running, full tilt. Cain looks at Abel and starts comparing himself to Abel. And you can can almost read Cain's thoughts. God loves Abel more than me. Why doesn't God care about me the way he does Abel? You know what? Abel's a jerk. I don't like Abel. You know, if Abel were any kind of a decent brother, he would ask why I'm mad and why I'm dejected, but he doesn't really care. And on and on and on it goes. Comparing ourselves to others is a way that we allow ourselves to wallow in self-pity, and it never ends well. It never ends well. As Cain was about to find out. Because the next part of the passage is the confrontation. God speaks directly to Cain. And he says, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Great questions. Why was Cain angry? Why was he so mad? Was he really angry with Abel? Or was it simply that he was embarrassed? That he didn't do what he knew was right? And he was upset that God called him out on it. This section reveals that Cain knew. It wasn't confusing. He knew what was right. He knew what to offer. He simply chose not to do it. And if we look closely at this passage, we see something remarkable about God. There is mercy here that God extends to Cain. There is an opportunity to do the right thing. The confrontation is not simply God putting Cain in his place, but an offer of the very same acceptance that he craves. The very same acceptance that Abel enjoyed if Cain did what was right. God was ready, willing, and yes, Abel, sorry, to offer that acceptance to Cain. But Cain had to make a choice. Now, God didn't just challenge Cain to do the right thing. He also lets him know what will happen if he persists going down this reckless, godless path. He gives Cain a glimpse of what's happening on the heavenly stage that Cain doesn't really see. He opens Cain's mind to the reality that there is a war going on between sin and righteousness, and Cain is caught in the crossfire. He's caught in the middle of it. God gives a graphic description of sin literally laying in wait for Cain, hiding, crouching, silently sneaking ready to pounce at a moment's notice. It calls to mind the words of 1 Peter, where Peter writes right, to, to us, to the church, stay alert, pay attention, For watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. The warning could not be clearer. Cain, you are in danger of great disaster if you don't get a hold on your anger and repent. And the last verse is so powerful. right? Sin is is crouching at the door of your heart, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. This is a question of control. Will Cain be controlled by his sin or will he turn to God, repent, and do what is right? And God puts the responsibility squarely on Cain's shoulders. The message is clear. The right choice is plain. But it is really up to Cain as to what he's going to do. This part of the passage is fascinating because it shows the value that God puts on our free will. God could have easily made Cain do the right thing. But that is not what he did. He did not force Cain to make the right choice. He simply offered the right choice and then let Cain do what he would. God does the same with us today. We are just like Cain in that sin crouches at the door of our heart too, eagerly desiring to control us, to take us captive, to take away our freedom and to make us miserable. Sin lies to us tells us that happiness, meaning, and satisfaction can be discovered by following our own appetites and desires. And it leads us down the primrose path, lying every step of the way that it can deliver to us the things that we want, all the while knowing that its main goal is to draw us away from God, away from peace, and away from the love that God has for us. God, in stark contrast, doesn't offer us a truth. He offers us the truth. Jesus referred to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. God's challenge to Cain is the same challenge that he gives to us, warning us that sin wants to own us, but we must become its master. And the only way for us to do that is to use the power that God offered us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to overcome it. That's how we win. We win. That's how we succeed. That's how we master sin and prevent it from controlling us. Faith in Jesus Christ as our forgiver and leader. That's the only way. The next part of the passage is what I like to call the window of opportunity. No words for this part of the story, just a very short passage. The space between the period at the end of one sentence and the capital letter at the beginning of the next no words, just time and space to consider the alternatives and make a choice. Now, we have no indication as to how much time elapsed between God challenging Cain and the next part of the story. How long was it? A week? A month? A year? We really don't know. What we do know is that Cain had a window of opportunity to change his behavior, change his offering, stop the comparison game between himself and Abel, and do the right thing. Again, we're a lot like Cain. We have a window of opportunity called this life. And just like Cain, our decisions in this life have a direct implication on what our lives look like in the next life. The writer of Hebrews speaks plainly of this in Hebrews 3. It says, be careful, brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day, this life, while it's still called today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will all share or we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Believing in Jesus, having faith in Him, trusting in Christ, following Jesus, making Jesus your forgiver and leader, living for Him. These are all phrases that we use to describe how we use our free will to honor God. This is how we give him our first and our best. We don't conjure up great deeds to impress him. We give him ourselves and our lives. And it has to be our choice, our decision. We have free will. We are given an opportunity, a window of opportunity called this life. And what we choose to do with Jesus determines where we will spend the next life. So, what did Cain decide? Well, if you've read the story before, if you're familiar with the story, you already know. This part is called the choice. The choice. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out to the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, And killed him. Sadly, the sin crouching at Cain's door consumed him. The comparison game he played led to deep anger, bitterness, and resentment against Abel, and ultimately, Cain acted on his anger and murdered his brother in cold blood. Cain had the opportunity to do right and chose wrong, he knew what he should have done. The issue was not lack of information, but rather a lack of transformation. And the same happens to us today. We don't lack information, but sometimes we do not allow the information that we have to transform us. Romans twelve two teaches us that we're, supposed to, we're not supposed to be conformed to the pattern of the world. We're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Like Cain, we were sinful at birth. But thank God we don't have to stay that way because God offered us his first and his best. He gave us his son, Jesus. He gave us himself. And faith in him is the start of living a transformed life. So now we're left with the epilogue. What happened? What happened to Cain after he murdered his brother Abel What happened? Well, we read afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where's Abel? I don't know. Cain responded, am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you No matter how hard you work, from now on, you'll be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me! You banished me from the land and from your presence. You've made me a homeless wanderer and anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. And the Lord put a mark On Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Several things strike us in the epilogue. First, I'm astonished at the lack of remorse Cain feels for killing his brother. There appears to be no sorrow, no repentance at all. Instead, he's consumed with the weight of the punishment that he will have to endure. Second, Even here, we see evidence of the mercy of God. Cain cried out that his punishment was severe. God could have said, yeah, you should have thought about that before you killed your brother. Tough. Too bad. Deal with it. But that's not what he does. Even after Cain's murderous crime, God responded to his plea and reassured him that no one would kill him the way he had killed his brother. Third, the fact that Cain is afraid that someone else might kill him does suggest there were other people around. So either Adam and Eve had more children that weren't recorded in this chapter, or perhaps Abel had children, or Cain. And finally, perhaps the saddest part of the whole epilogue is the line that says Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Who left who? Who left who? Did God leave Cain, or did Cain leave God? It was Cain that left God. Cain left the Lord's presence, and God let him. How incredibly sad. This story could have had a much different ending. If Cain had heeded the warning that God gave him, all of this could have been avoided. Certainly it would have been better for Abel, to be sure. But the embarrassment... And the comparison game was too much for Cain. Truly, sin had crouched at his doorway and ultimately mastered him. There are so many different applications we could pull from these few verses. And what you pull from it really depends on where you are at in life, like what stage of life you're at. It's the reason why you can read the Bible a hundred times and every time see something different that you need to apply In order to be transformed by it, let me suggest some questions to consider throughout the week based on the different sections of this passage. First, let's consider the dilemma. When it comes to the way we live, do we offer God our first and our best, or just some? Scripture teaches that for those of us who follow Jesus, our lives are supposed to be lived as an offering to God. So how's that going? Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So when it comes to my relationship with God, do I give God my first and my best or am I just giving him the sad, sad leftovers? And you can even take this in a million different directions. Do I give God the first and best of my time? or just whatever's left? Do I invest the first and best of my mind to God, or do I reserve just enough brain space to think about him a little bit on Sunday morning? Do I give God the first and best of my resources, or just whatever's left? For those of you students that are in sports, music, attending classes, do you compete and practice as if you're competing for Jesus or is it just for you? Are you offering God your first and your best or is it just relegated to whatever leftovers that you happen to have or perhaps nothing at all? Well, what about the confrontation part of the passage? Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you just as it did Cain. But unlike Cain, you must subdue it and be its master. The problem with sin is that it's sticky. We're born with it, and we can't get it off of us in our own power. We need God to rescue us from the sin that crouches at our door, that wants to control us. So the question is, who's running the show here? Who's running the show in my life? Who's calling the shots? Is it God or is it me? Struggling with sin is an ongoing battle for those who are in Christ. But for those who are without Christ, it's hopeless. We need God to rescue us. We can't do it on our own. Deliverance only comes through submission to God through Jesus and ceding control of our lives to His Holy Spirit. That's how we win. So, who's running the show? What about the window of opportunity? What about the choice? Cain had a certain amount of time to consider his choice, and so do we. The question here is simply, what's going to change? How is my life going to be different based on what I heard today? The window of opportunity is really a call to repentance. Cain recognized what he was doing was wrong, but he persisted in it. The question is, where is God pressing on you today? How will you be different now that you're armed with the information from this passage, is there an area of life that God is challenging you to change? There are certainly many other applications that we could take from this passage. and My encouragement to you would be don't let our conversation end here. Take these questions with you throughout the week and let God's Spirit transform you by changing the way that you think. Let's talk to him. Father in heaven, you set the example. You set the example. You gave us your first and your best. What you ask of us is only what you've already demonstrated uh, to us to do. You gave us your son when we had no hope. You gave us life when we, had, uh, when we had none. We are so thankful to you for that. We pray that you would use this message of Cain and Abel to challenge us today, uh, to change us into the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, John.
0: We're going to enter into our time of communion this morning, and that that message that John just gave, as he mentioned, is one that he spoke on at the beginning of his ministry with kids. And so I'm sure I was was part of that group uh, that, that he was speaking to, and the thing that I love about it is... Or the thing I love about any message is that it hits you differently depending on your your stage of life. So hearing first and best as a first grader who's learning how to read looks different than first and best of a seventh grader learning how to stay clean. <laughs> it looks different than a first and best of a high schooler learning about relationships and hard work and dedication and achieving goals. It looks different. Then a recent college grad who's trying to figure out their way in the world. The first and best looks different for a 33-year-old first-time dad uh, who's watching a pathetic Bears team. It looks different for, uh, for, the, for the grandparents who've just entered that, that new stage of life and figuring things out. Your first and best can change depending on what you have, who you are in, in that stage of life. But the beautiful thing is God's first and best never changes. God's first and best, he gave to us through his son. He sent his first and only begotten son to die an undeserved death on the cross. Not just because, not for a nice story, not so we can read about it, but so that we can know him. So that we can be covered in his grace and, and welcomed by his love. In a relationship, so we can have a relationship with him that will last not just during our time here on Earth, but forevermore. So I I ask um, I ask you to consider that those three questions that John offered. Consider those questions during communion. And the beautiful thing is we're going to be singing a song at the beginning here that that talks about God giving His first and best. You'll hear the lyrics. My my sin was deep, but Your grace, God, was deeper. He gives us our first, His first and best grace talks about our shame being wide, but God's arms being wider. No matter how bad we feel about something, no matter how irredeemable we feel, God's first and best is available to us through his loving arms. And finally, our guilt. Our guilt sometimes can be great. It can be overwhelming. But God's love is greater still. His first and his best is not just available to us once. It's available to us all the time. So, as we move to one of the corners of the room to receive communion or to the platform or the back of the room for for the gluten-free options, I just want you to ponder that. Ponder, am I giving God what he's giving me? Am I giving him my first and my best as he offered us through the death of Jesus? We all have these different roles in life, right? And we we all expect the first and best of whoever we're with. As a teacher of junior high students, I always expect the first and the best out of my kids when they're taking notes, doing tests, or whatever they're doing. As a coach, as a cross-country coach, I expect the first and the best effort out of my kids each and every day at practice and races and everything. And, And it's really, really, really easy to get frustrated when you see someone else that you demand the first and best from, not giving their all. Sometimes you want to just grab them by the cheeks. There's so much potential in you. What are you doing? God could do the same to us. God could look at us and say, grab us by the cheeks. What are you doing? In fact, he could be so frustrated with us by, not giving, or by us not giving him our first and best, he could take us like a little paper football and flick us. But he chooses not to. He chooses not to. Now, the goal of this week. I want you to think about those three questions that uh, that John offered. First, are you giving your first and best? And part of what I want you to to settle with is that it doesn't always work out. When you give your first and best, you're not always rewarded. Abel, after giving his first and best, was killed by his brother unjustly. However, Abel did what God commanded. He gave his first and best. Consider that second question. Who's in charge in your life? Is it you? Is it your boss? Is it your schedule? Or is it God? Think about that. Work through that this week. Maybe with you and your spouse, or you and your friends, or you and your family. Work through that question. And finally, consider the question what's going to change? I know when I get home, I'm going to write that on my mirror. Sorry, Riley. I'm going to write that on our mirror, not in permanent marker, I promise. What's going to change? How am I going to, in the different roles and different positions that I have, how am I going to work towards giving my first and my best even more than what I have been so far? So um, I hope that you get to enjoy the rest of today, and let's hope that the Bears give us their first and best as we take down the package this afternoon. All right? Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.